namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa bhutang dhammang sankhang namasami We come to chapter 2, The Wheel of Birth and Death. And the first section is called Cycles of Addiction, the Catastrophe. We keep making the same mistakes, finding ourselves following the same destructive habits. As David Bowie put it, we are, quote, always crashing in the same car, unquote. I think Asanjayasaro has also made the, some mileage out of that. That's some title. The teaching on dependent origination offers us a way out. For myself, this is a very impactful teaching. It's one of the main reasons I've been living in monasteries as a Buddhist monk for 40 years. What is important and transformative is not just the specific words of the teachings on dependent origination, but the principle which they embody, how to free the heart from destructive cycles. As the Buddhist scholar and poet Martin Verhoeven, former Bhikshu Hung Chao, put it, Life is truly a dream. All of its troubles I alone create. When I stop creating, the trouble stops. Very simple. <laughs> Life is truly a dream. All of its troubles I alone create. When I stop creating, the troubles stop. Doesn't mean that all our our debts are magically paid, or our illnesses are magically cured, but the mind stops creating uh, that troubledness and is able to appreciate how things are. So, uh, Martin Verhoeven, he's now he, he uh, left the, the monastic life quite some time ago, and he's a history professor at a university in California, and he was uh, he and uh, Dharma Master Hung Shur were the uh, 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 the ones who made a, a pilgrimage um, from Los Angeles all the way up to uh, to Northern California uh, to the city of 10,000 Buddhas. Um, uh, it took them two and a half years from the uh, May of 1977 to October of 1979, uh, bowing all the way up uh, through Los Angeles and up the West Coast um, to city of 10,000 Buddhas, about six or 700 miles. Uh, walking three steps and then bowing to the ground and then getting up, walking three steps and uh, bowing to the ground the whole way. So uh, it took them two and a half years. and had many adventures. There was a, a few books of their uh, of their diaries and letters that they sent back to Master Master Xuanhua uh, along the way. And they were so into bowing every three steps that when they got to the city of 10,000 Buddhas, they carried on bowing around the monastery for, no, for another two years. <laughs> So these guys are serious, you know. They don't they they don't go for the oh, thank goodness that's all over, now I can now I can stop. It's not, that's not in their um, in their vocabulary. So also um Master Xunhua was the one who donated uh, half of the land that comprises Abayagiri Monastery. It was his literally his dying gift to this community. Um and he uh, 
Uh, Lumpur Sumedha was, was already going to be visiting California to go and teach over there, and Master Hua invited him to, uh, uh, was, he said he was going to come up and, and receive him at the, at the airport when he arrived, which Lumpur was very touched by, but Master Hua was so ill by the time Lumpur actually um, uh, arrived that he, he couldn't travel, so Lumpur went to see him at the monastery where he was down in Southern California, and uh, literally from his deathbed he donated 120 acres of forest that uh, formed the, the original part of Abhayagiri Monastery, and and he died shortly after. The, the gift of the land was on May uh, May 31st, uh, and he passed away about uh, a month, six weeks later. When we use language like, quote, liberation from the wheel of birth and death, unquote, the teaching can seem very dramatic and remote. Many readers have probably seen paintings from the various Buddhist traditions, Tibetan, Thai, Sri Lankan, Burmese, Chinese, Japanese, that depict a circular wheel in the grip of a demonic-looking mythical creature. The outer rim of the circle is divided into twelve sections, representing the links of dependent origination. Many pages could be filled describing each of these traditional images in turn, but it will be more practical and useful to look at these twelve in terms of their psychological qualities and how to work with them to conduce to liberation. So we included a... Uh, a picture. This is probably familiar to most people, um, seen in various different Buddhist monasteries or collections of Buddhist art. And oh, very good. Yes, you can. Thank you for that sample copy that uh, people can take a look at. So uh, it seems like a very complicated image, uh, and um, that uh, there's a, there's a lot going on there. And so I explain it uh, a little bit in the um, uh, in the the text coming up, um, the um, uh, it's, it, it would be quite possible to do a, an entire book on the uh, these uh, what the, the the image of the the wheel of uh, becoming the wheel of birth and death represents. Uh, but if you are interested in Buddhist cosmology, the two best books in English there's not that much actually in in English, uh, but the two best books. Um, I think that the library here has uh, copies of both. One is called The Three Worlds According to King Ruang, which is a classic uh, Thai. Uh, it's probably the first book written in the Thai language, and it was translated by a couple of academics um, from uh, University of California, Berkeley, the Reynolds. Um, they translated that into English, and so that's a... Um, uh, originally, it was composed by a number of of uh, elders in uh, in the uh, the nascent uh, state of Thailand about seven or eight hundred years ago, uh, King and it was uh, uh, requested by King Ramkam Heng, one of the, the first Thai monarchs, and so uh, that gives descriptions of the the six realms and uh, lifespans of different beings in those realms and what goes on and what what they're like. Um, and that, so that's a classical book. And then more recently, Ajahn Punadamo, who lives at Arrow River Forest Hermitage in Ontario, he has spent a long time putting together a, a large, uh, a very similar compendium called uh, the, uh, the Buddhist Cosmos. It's not uh, pu uh, published widely, but I think we have, uh, we, we did our own print-off from a PDF, and it's certainly, um, we've got uh, digital files of it. So that is a very comprehensive and thorough, even more comprehensive than the three worlds according to King Ruan. Ajahn Punadama put a lot of effort into that. So if you are interested in Buddhist cosmology, 
I want to find out more of that. Um, I've got a, a, a printout in my kuti, and I think there's one in the library as well. So, so it's called the, the Buddhist Cosmos, if you want to follow that up. Uh, inside that rim of the twelve images are five, or sometimes six, sections describing the different realms of existence. Inside this is another ring, coloured half light and half dark, representing the effects of wholesome and unwholesome actions. Lastly, at the very centre, are three animals, a cockerel, representing greed, a snake, representing hatred, and a pig, representing delusion. Uh, each of these with its jaws clamped onto the tail of the one in front of it. These are the three akusalamula, the three unwholesome roots that form the very hub of the wheel of becoming, the cycle of addiction. As long as greed, hatred, and delusion are in place, then the wheel will keep spinning. So also, when we chanted the uh, fire sermon, the Adita Pariyaya Sutta, uh, uh, along with the six senses, then the Buddha is describing each of those six senses and the the sense contact, the, the feelings, uh, uh, the sense consciousness, the sense, uh, uh, the feeling arising from that sense contact, ragagina, dosagina, mohagina, burning with the fire of raga, of passion, of uh, dosa, of aversion, and moha, delusion. So, uh, in that sutta, he talks about them as fires, different kinds of fires, uh, and in the, the the imagery of this uh, um, uh, of the wheel of becoming, the bhava chakra, then they're represented as these three animals with the and the tail of of each one is in the mouth of the one behind it, so they're like a little circle of dukkha at the uh, the hub of the uh, uh, of the wheel. So before I go on, any questions, thoughts? These images can be very colourful, very interesting, very frightening, very mysterious, and perhaps annoying. What on earth is this all about? So many figures, so many things going on. What does it all mean? But the symbolic value of this representation of the wheel of birth and death is very great. It's highly beneficial in helping us to understand our own life. According to some scriptures, the Buddha declared that this picture should be installed over the gate of every monastery in order to represent the, the central teaching. It's a symbol that everybody who walks into a Buddhist monastery could relate to and be informed by. So that you don't find that mentioned in the, uh, in the Pali Canon, uh, but it's uh, in the commentarial literature. It's also said that uh, in those commentaries that uh, Venerable Mahamogalana, who was the Buddha's second disciple, had uh, great psychic powers and could easily visit all the different realms. And uh, and he was the artist of the original one, so they say that he he uh, painted the image of the different realms uh, and was the the one who crafted the original Bhavachaka and it was sort of sat over the gate of, of uh, I think in the the oldest stories over the gate of the Jetavana at um, uh, near Savati and that then that was copied and and in, installed in other monasteries uh, around and about. That, uh, I don't know whether that's actually true or whether Mahamogalan was indeed a gifted artist, but he certainly, according to the stories, was, was very accomplished at visiting different realms and then would come back and there's accounts of him telling, in, in the suttas of him telling stories of what he encountered in the, the heavenly realms or the hell realms, the ghost realm and, the, and uh, so on and so forth. The animal and the human realms are very easily accessible to us. Those are, those are not mysterious. 
But uh, it said Mahamogalana could uh, easily visit the other realms and he come back and tell tell stories, give accounts of what he discovered there to help encourage and inform other Sangha members. The circular shape represents the wheel-like nature of the process, but equally significantly, it represents a mirror. When you look at that picture, you're looking at what you are, and what factors comprise your life. The being holding the mirror is Mahakala, whose name means great time. Not mean not like having a great time, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe having a great time up in the Deva realms. Maybe not having such a great time down in the hell realms or the the, the animal realm or the hungry ghosts, but great as in Maha, as in the powerful and large. And Kala means time. Thus, it is time holding the mirror that reflects what we are, quote-unquote, or what we seem to be. The main part of the image is divided into five or six sections represented, representing what are called Bhumi, or the realms of existence. Heaven, hell, the realm of the hungry ghosts, the human realm, the realm of animals, and if a sixth one is included, this will be the Asura realm, that of the jealous gods or titans. Sometimes the Asuras are included within the Deva realm and are not given their own segment of the diagram, which they're probably annoyed about as well. <laughs> so, yeah. If you have no faith or interest in the idea of such realms as distinct dimensions of existence, parallel worlds, these can also be seen as descriptions of psychological states. You don't have to believe in hell to understand what it's like to be angry. You don't have to believe in heaven to be enraptured by the sound of your favorite music. In this respect, heaven and hell are not things that are far away. So then I go into a little description of each of the, very short description of each of the realms. And again, this is very much a pocket version. I didn't want to spend half the book going over the, the symbolism of the six realms. So this is very deliberately kept extremely short. Um, so, uh, uh, if you again, if you want to follow up more of it, then you can look in uh, the Buddhist cosmos or, or the, the three, the three worlds according to King Ruan. So, firstly, the human realm. The human realm is defined as the realm of those who live according to the precepts. So, you can have a human body but not be living in the human realm. In Buddhist psychology, a human quote unquote is defined as a being who lives by at least the five precepts. So that can be intimidating to people, uh, but that's that's the definition, the manusa loka, the the human realm. You're not truly not truly human unless there's a a substantial quality of virtue in in one's in one's life. That's what makes one truly uh, truly a human being. That's what defines the, the manusa loka. Um, so again, when, uh, sometimes in in the West, people can have a very um, Sort of negative uh, view, self-critical views of themselves, and and um, so to hear that can be even more depressing than uh, it can be even more depressing than than you can deal with. Um, so it's not uh, always a a teaching that uh, is sensible or helpful to to share. But I feel it's it's part of the Buddhist uh, mythology, and that it's also in a way it's a, a helpful principle that what makes us human is that. Uh, say the qualities of hiri and otapa, that moral sensitivity, and that if that is um, 
that sense of what is wholesome, what is unwholesome, and if that is is muffled or lost or or, or you know, overridden by our habits of, of fear or aversion or greed or busyness, um, uh, dishonesty and, and so on, then uh, that's there's a kind of situation where you, you you have a human body, but you're not really living in the human realm. You're you're living in the uh, realms of the the animal realm or in the uh, at least amongst the um, uh, the asuras or, or the um, uh, the the realms of, of uh, say uh, insensitivity and uh, uh, with a lack of respect uh, and attunement to the the needs and the of uh, uh, the beings around you and the effect that your life and your actions your words have upon the beings that you live with. So that's the manusa loka, the human realm. Any questions? Uh, again, the, these readings are for all, for all of you. They're not just for me to be sitting here. Yes? So you're saying you could be in the human realm, but if you don't follow the five precepts, you're technically a, a human. Um, is there you're a pugala, but not a manusa. Sure. Is there an equivalent for like devas? So you could be in the human realm, but according to cosmology, like a deva, because your morality is so bad. Um, well, it's uh, sometimes people in in the royal family are called devas, <laughs> royals, <laughs> high up, certain members of certain royal families, uh, and that uh, so it's, so it's representing that kind of very um, uh, kind of uh, in a way powerful or high ranking or, or good looking or, or, or wealthy those kind of positions in society um, so that uh, the uh, and then so that uh, someone who's rich and famous uh, and they, their life is filled with beautiful objects often just in ordinary conversation uh, in Buddhist countries or even in the West you know, people say oh that person's living in a deva realm or they have a deva-like life but I think uh, in, uh, in in Thai language maybe Suvira is the way I mean, talking about the like the king and queen, do they use the words deva to refer to them? They they kind of have those crowns like the chada. That they it's like a, a sort of a deva headdress that they they wear in part of their royal regalia. Meru, huh? I'm not sure. Not sure. <laughs> but I know that the belief that if they are born in the royal family. They have more chance to, uh, to give to others or help people mm-hmm. than ordinary people. Uh-huh. So that's why you respect them. It's a Pumibun. Pumibun. Also, that, as we were saying at the reading yesterday, that devas can also understand the teachings so that we, in the chanting we do Sattva Deva Manusanang, uh, the uh, teacher of gods and humans. And so that devas. They, uh, if they are inclined towards um, wholesomeness and wisdom, then along with their life being sort of very comfortable and beautiful and covered in jewellery, then they also uh, can delight in uh, in spiritual teachings. And so there's often um, in the in the suttas you, uh, you find very often devas coming to listen to teachings or asking for advice. And there's the the first two sections of the connected discourses, the Sangyuta Nikaya. Are the Buddha giving teachings to devas, deva sangyuta and deva puta sangyuta is the first two sections, um, so that uh, that um, uh, 
Uh, also, you know, there can be people who live Deva-like lives, who are very rich and, and influential or have a glamorous life and a lot of luxury, but they can be spending a lot of their time looking out for other people. Like Sevilla was saying, they've got pumibun, they're people who have a lot of merit or a lot of blessings, and they very actively use those blessings to help other people. Like the, uh, the, the donor who's been supporting the construction of the buildings in the nuns area, or has donated a very large amount of money to help build a new sala and so on. And, uh, I would say he comes into that category. He's got a deva-like life. He's very, uh, born into a huge amount of wealth, but he's very concerned that the, the power that he has, the wealth that he has, is put to good use. And so that, and that influence, um, is, say, it's there, but it's steered in a, in a wholesome direction. Yes. Well, maybe a state of consciousness, like Jana. Sometimes people are entering Janas and they are in Deva-like mind. Yes, yeah, that's it. That's in the, I mentioned that in the next little section. You'll mention <laughs> I, I will mention that in the next little, next little section. Okay. So the Deva realm represents and embodies refined sensory pleasure, like delight in beautiful music, fragrances, refined tastes, or visual images. It also represents sublime states of bliss arising from concentration and meditative absorption. So, so that that, um, uh, the, uh, particularly the jhanas are associated with the Brahma realms, so that the, um, uh, the uh, Rupa jhana, the, the jhanas based on form, are related to the, uh, the realm, the Brahma realms, the, the uh, Rupa loka, the, the, the lower chunk of the Brahma realms, and then the jhanas, the absorptions based upon formlessness, the Arupa jhana, they're um, connected with the Arupa, the formless Brahma realms. Because in the, the highest Brahma realms, the beings don't have a, they they have no physical uh, form at all. They're just, uh, as, they, as they're called, mind-made. They're made of mind alone. They have no, no physical, uh, physical form. They are just, um, uh, 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 they are sort of mind-based beings only. Uh, Arupa, the Arupa Loka. So it's the upper Brahma realms, uh, the, Aru, the Arupa Loka. Again, if you want more details on that, please go to the, the Three Worlds According to King Rua or, uh, or the Buddhist cosmos. So that uh, also the um, uh, Venerable Ananda Maitreya, who I was mentioning the other day, he quoted, I'm not sure where it comes in the scriptures, but uh, uh, when someone was, when he was here uh, living at Amravati in 1980, he spent the rains here in 1986, and uh, uh, he was, the subject of Devas came up in one of his teachings or uh, in his um, sessions with him, and he quoted this passage, Sabhe Deva Mahamulanti, which uh, translates as something, uh, he translated as, translated it as, these devatas, they are all utterly foolish fellows. <laughs> Mula is foolish, uh, uh, utterly foolish fellows. So that devas can easily, like rich people or people who are pri- from a privileged background, they can easily just be lost in their own entitlement and assume, you know, like, like Marie Antoinette, you know, let them eat cake. And the poor people were starving at the gates of the palace. And she said, what's all the noise about? And famous, well, whether it happened or not, the story certainly happened. So, so that the poor people of Paris uh, were gathered around the, the gates of the palace, and and there was a, a great turbulence and distress on the street. 
and then Marie Antoinette and uh, the, the Queen said, well, what's all the noise about? Why are the people so upset? And said, Your Majesty, uh, they want bread. Let them eat cake, was her res- supposedly her response. So, uh, that, that in, in uh, English uh, usage, that let them eat cake is a, a way of describing incredible insensitivity and entitlement. It's the, it's assuming that, well, why do they, you know, just because they haven't got bread, they surely they can just eat cake instead. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that means. Let them eat cake. But, <clears throat> And uh, there, there's a kind of an equivalent story in the Buddhist scriptures. One a very, very privileged uh, layman, um, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the name, it was um, it wasn't Venerable Yasa, it was uh, another layman. And uh, so he had grown up with a, a, very, uh, a very comfortable and privileged lifestyle. And he was so indulgent, and and his his parents always gave him everything he asked for. And uh, one day, he and his friends were were gambling, and uh, and eating lots of snacks, and just kept sending to the to the servants, "Go and get more cake, go and get more snacks, go and get more drinks." And um, and so the the story goes uh, that uh, the uh, mother was was looking after the kitchens, and these the lads were <laughs> gambling. I guess they were teenagers by this time. They were sort of used up. You know, a lot of the food in the larder had been had been consumed by these um, by the these teenage boys gambling and 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 uh, seeking their pleasure. And uh, so uh, she told the servant to go back to to the, the uh, to her son and tell him uh, there aren't any cake. There isn't any cake. Nati Pulvam is the part. There isn't any cake. And he'd never heard that word, there isn't any cake. So, oh, nutty puvang, I've never, I've never heard of that before. That's a, a different kind. Of, yeah, bring some nutty puvang. So, so it's a kind of let them eat cake story from the Pali Canon. So, yeah, <clears throat> no, nutty puvang means there isn't any more cake, you've eaten it all. It's like, what? No, 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 just, just bring some of that nutty puvang. You can't, can't understand that it's, it's run out because there's, there's never been everything that he wanted throughout his entire life. His mother was trying to give him a, a lesson on uh, limited resources. So that's a Deva-like life. Is that, uh, there's a, um, a yeah, limitless supply of things that you, you like, so you can be lost in that entitlement or, or just presuming that, that the luxurious and delightful things are always available and you're entitled to them. Or as a, uh, I think in one of the Mae West movies from way back in the in the twenties and thirties, she has a line: "Peel me a grape, Beulah." Talking to one of her, her servants, she's playing, she's acting a, a very sort of rich and deva-like lady in this in that particular film, and turns to her servant and says, "Peel me a grape, Beulah." That also gets uh, people looking a little bit blank. So Beulah was the name of the servant. And to, 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 to be so refined that you like to have your grapes peeled is a, a, a very kind of, um, over-refined standard, I would say. But uh, that um, also gets used in English. Peel me a grape, Beulah, with a kind of ridiculous degree of expectation and refinement. So any questions on Deva realms? 
The Asura realm is the domain of the jealous gods, quote-unquote, the titans, beings who are powerful, intelligent, and love pleasure in the same way as the devas, but because of jealousy, they are generally not as beautiful, nor as nor do they have as much power as the devas. The realm of the jealous gods is like the political sphere, where there is hunger for power, and the forces of the world are always in competition. This is the realm of the asura. So, you know, Deva is also that kind of brightness or that potency in the world. Um, so, uh, the realm of politics, there's a lot of competition. And people might be bright, they might have a lot of power, but they're also arguing and fighting with each other and uh, competing. So, that, uh, uh, many years ago, Lumpur Sumedho said that a good way of understanding the Asura realm is that to look at the realm of, of politics. And so, yeah, the people are powerful, they're intelligent, they've got a lot of resources, but <laughs> the attention goes on to jealously competing for power and, and, and um, position and, uh, and influence and so, and so on and so forth. And in the, in the suttas, there's often uh, the, dev, the asuras try to, to uh, start a fight with the devas. They're, they're jealous of them because they have such you know, luxury and comfort and, so the Asuras will start a fight and try and take over the the, um, the Deva's territory and, and subdue them, uh, and so that uh, you get uh, accounts of, of wars between the Devas and the Asuras happening from time to time. Vipachiti was one of the leaders of the Asuras, and uh, the leader of the... It's usually against the Devas of the Tavatinsa heaven, so Saka or Indra is the, uh, the one who's usually leading the the kind of Deva army to, to counter the attack of the, uh, of the Asuras. So it's a bit like the, sort of the, the Greek or the Norse gods, the kind of different factions fighting with each other and vying, vying for su- supremacy. And, um, so that there's a, you come across that as part of the scriptural, scriptural form. The animal realm represents the states of mind dominated by food, sex, territory, and animal instincts. Often we like to think of ourselves as living a very refined life, but I would suggest that a lot of human life revolves around the animal instincts. Can I eat it? Is it going to eat me? Can I mate with it? Does it want to mate with me? Uh, Does it want to come into my territory? Can I get into its territory? If you look through the news, a lot of it is about the animal realm. I, I realize also it's a somewhat sweeping statement, <laughs> but uh, even though we, we, t- we uh, as human beings, we think that we're way above the animal realm and, uh, and think that uh, we've, uh, we're far more sophisticated and refined and intelligent and uh, uh, far beyond those uh, animal uh, drives. But uh, if we look, uh, say, rather than living in the Manusa Loka, you know, a lot of... of um, that uh, uh, of our life revolves around the the asura realm and the animal realm, and uh, driven by those those kind of instincts and uh, and habits, and what you know what we uh, uh, we can dress it up in various different ways and and, and give it a different coating, but uh, uh, that uh, a lot of what motivates people uh, in in the world and their lives revolve around. Of sort of basic animal instincts. So, uh, I might sound a bit offensive or a bit um, uh, overcritical, but uh, I think if we look around, we don't have to look very far to see, especially uh, 
if you if you notice how not not I'm not that I'm keeping watch on anybody, but when it's breakfast time and you haven't eaten since the midday of the day before, if you notice that Cerberi gets very very interested, and you stop noticing the other people around and the attention. Again, I'm not keeping I'm not spying on anyone, but it is interesting how the attention goes very firmly to what's on the Cerberi and what people in so far as they might be in the way. So right there, so I would say is the the animal realm of like the search for you know there's hunger as the search for food. Food becomes of of intrinsic value, and the attention goes firmly towards it. Um, uh, again, I wouldn't presume to, to know exactly what's going through everybody's mind, uh, but uh, that's easily the case from from my own experience. So then, the hungry ghost realm is the arena of all-consuming addictions. Hungers that cannot be satiated by consumption. Addiction to alcohol or to nicotine or to addictive drugs are clearly visible realms of endless hunger. This is the mind absorbed into the destructive cycle of consuming a desired substance and being unable to escape from that. The hungry ghost, or peta in Pali or preta in Sanskrit, has a very small mouth but is always hungry. So in the imagery of the of the hungry ghost realm, the hungry ghosts have a, a large sort of swollen stomach and a tiny, tiny mouth, sort of small as a, a needle. So they they uh, uh, even though they're always hungry, they, they can't get very much food into their mouths, so that 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 hunger can't be satiated. No matter how much the body or mind consumes of its drug of choice, it never gets enough and is always hungering for more. That's the hungry ghost realm. There can be other kinds of addiction, more refined than drugs and alcohol, which will be explored in due course. So uh, again, this is a way that Lumpur Sumedha would describe uh, you know, the hungry ghost realm, the realm of addiction, so that uh, the mind is focused on that one thing that it, it's, it's got to have. Uh, and so things like alcohol or, or nicotine or, or you know, heroin or cocaine or whatever, those kind of very obvious drugs um, are, uh, where... When we use the word an addict or addicted to those substances, and then people have to work really hard to get uh, get free of those addictions if they are if they're lost in them. So that's a, a tangible uh, say experience of the hungry ghost realm, ever hunger, ever ever hungry, and never quite able to satiate that. It can be uh, alleviated a little bit from time to time, but it, it's uh, it is. Uh, say being born into that realm is that the mind is just focused on that one thing that's going to uh, say scratch that particular itch. The hell realm comes last. This is all about pain and heat and conflict. This describes the mind in the state of anger, oppression and hatred. There's an intense focus on pain and the aversion that arises as a consequence of that. When we're angry with someone and are absorbed in that conflict, to the point where we want to destroy something or someone, this is the experience of the hell realm. In the hell realm, it becomes more important to escape from pain or to destroy or to harm or to hurt anything else in the world. So the mind gets again shrinks to that that uh, painful state and then gets lost in, in aversion and um, the kind of the heat of contention uh, against another person or just that the, the mind is in a state of of uh, burning destructiveness and just wants to to get rid of the object of aversion or you know, destroy it or, or cause it pain. 
The 12 links of dependent origination around the rim of that picture uh, with Mahakala, they depict the pattern by which the wheel turns and that completes the picture, the mirror into which we are looking. Again, it might all sound very complicated, but this is a visual way of conveying the teachings on how we create trouble for ourselves and how the heart can be freed from that trouble. We free ourselves by understanding the mechanism of how that trouble gets created. Understanding, and not just conceptual understanding, but the the sort of the, uh, the, the the direct and complete insight, that the sort of uh, non-conceptual direct uh, ins, uh, insight understanding, understanding the mechanism of uh, of how that trouble gets created. Understanding enables us to no to no longer create it. And in the picture of the wheel, uh, maybe uh, Lindsay can pass that around if people are interested, the uh, the 12 images, it might be a little bit difficult to, to see what they're representing, but it's kind of, it's it's interesting that regardless of the country that this uh, image appears in, whether it's in Thailand or, or uh, India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, uh, Burma, China, Japan, Korea, and all around, Tibet, they use pretty much the same images to represent the 12 links. So um, the first one is a blind person representing avijja, uh, not being able to see, and uh, also ignorance. Uh, just to mention the word ignorance in in ordinary English usage, ig- to be ignorant means you haven't got certain information or you don't know how to perform a particular task. So, um, but the Pali use of the word uh, avijja, it's a, a bit more. Uh, it's not just not having information. But it, it's probably best translated as uh, unawareness or unmindfulness, not not seeing clearly. So the image of a blind person, where the the, the visual realm is is shut down, is a, a good representation of that. So it's uh, the word ignorance is is so, has been used for so long. It's almost you know that's sort of a fixed way of translating avijja. But it's uh, essentially, it's not knowing. Vijja is to know or to be aware. Avijja is to not know, to not be aware. So it's an unmindfulness, a, a distractedness, an unawareness. So then, uh, avijja pachaya sankara. Sankara, uh, that sankara literally means to, to form or to make. And that's the image of a potter. Uh, a potter making a, a clay pot. <coughs> sankara pachaya vinyana. So the vinyana is represented... In, in this particular wheel, by a, a monkey in a tree uh, reaching for a, uh, a fruit, so there's that um, uh, that so the uh, knowing that 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 object and, and reaching uh, taking hold of that object. Then Namarupa is represented by a uh, uh, it's actually a few people. It's often it's just one person in a little rowing boat. So the the mind and the body represent the body represented by the little boat by the dinghy, um, and then a person sitting in the boat representing the nama or the mind. This one has got three or four people in, it, in the boat, so <laughs> I'm not quite not quite sure the the, uh, the background to that. Uh, maybe multiple personality, a few people right, yeah, different members of the committee riding in the boat together. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, so the the nama rupa. Nama being the, the mind or, or ment, uh, mentality, rupa materiality or the, the body material form represented by the boat. Then the next one is a uh, a house with 
six windows. Sometimes it's a, a, a house with with five windows and a door. Um, but that represents the six senses, the six sense doors, the salayatana, uh, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. Uh, and then contact, uh, pasa. Um, so when the, the with the six senses, there's the the sense organ, say the eye, and then visual form, rupa. And when the and then when the visual form is uh, is received by the eye, and then our eye consciousness arises. So, and the coming together of those three, the the eye, the sense organ, the object, and the consciousness arising through the reception of the object, that is called pasa or contact. So in this uh, imagery, you have a couple embracing, so that represents contact, pasa. Then feeling, pasa uh, pachaya vedana, so contact conditions feeling, is somebody uh, uh, with an arrow in their eye. Uh, so definitely using painful feeling as a way of representing feeling. So that's the, the impact of vedana, feeling. And then uh, uh, feeling conditions craving. Uh, and so that's uh, again you have a, a couple uh, holding hands, uh, tanha. Uh, well, I think it may be somebody giving a somebody a dish of food. It's a bit hard to to see the the two people close to each other, either holding hands or somebody giving them some something to eat. And then the uh, the next one, upadana, clinging or grasping. So this is a, the image of somebody, they've already got a basket that's filled to the brim with fruit, and they're reaching up into a fruit, a fruit tree to pick even more. So it's like the, their basket is already full, but they're, they're grasping for, for more. So that's upadana. And then bhava, becoming. There's a couple in bed together, um, uh, representing you know, the becoming, or that being you know, lost in that say the particular feeling of uh, the coming together and then jati birth is uh, a woman uh, lying down with a baby next to her so it has just given birth jati and then the last one on the list is jara marana uh, aging and death so you have somebody with a large backpack they're, they're striding along and then a funeral pyre uh, at the at the very end so that's the uh, visual imagery depicting dependent origination, and again, you know, that it probably was the case that this was used from the earliest times. So most of the people who were listening to Dhamma talks were illiterate; they couldn't read. And so, just as you have in Christian churches all over all over Europe, they have stained glass windows and murals that depict certain stories and would be themes for religious instruction in the church. You know that the, you can tell a story with with pictures for people who can't read and. and uh, the uh, uh, up until very very recently, the vast majority of people um, uh, in Buddhist countries uh, would have been illiterate or semi-literate, and so having pictures and indicate these particular qualities uh, as a very handy way of, of, sort of in, uh, describing what's going on. So, any questions? Thoughts? Yes. Are supposed to see the twelve links of. Uh, um, Dependent origination in any Maga, Thala, Nibbana enlightenment moment, or just, just before it? That's the thing I heard somewhere that you, you might not actually understand what they are. I think it's maybe with Bhikkhu Bodhi giving his lectures on the Abhidhamma. 
Yeah. Um, that exactly, I think the, 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 say the statement I was quoting the other day, that one who sees the dependent origination sees the Dhamma, one who sees the Dhamma sees dependent origination. I wouldn't say that necessarily has to be every nuance of each of the 12 links, but I would, in a way, I would say seeing dependent origination is that attuning of the, the heart, the jitta, to how the whole thing is working. So like Lumpur Chah's image of falling out of a tree, you're trying to count the branches that you're going past on the way down. Like it, there's a lot of detail there, but uh, so that I would say that it's um, that sense of, of attunement of how it works is uh, and, uh, and an appreciation of the, the validity of that, uh, that, that sense of oh, this is how, this is how this, this whole system operates. It's like this. Like once you, You've seen a puzzle, or if you're doing a crossword, you you know, you know oh, that's what the, the word is that fits in there. Like, oh, that's the solution to the puzzle. Aha, that's how it works. So it's that kind of aha, that uh, resolution, and seeing that beyond a doubt, in a non-conceptual and direct way, that this is this is what's going on. And it's also to me, it's interesting. Like uh, I was reading that that passage about just after the Buddha's enlightenment. Yeah, after spending. Uh, a, a week absorbed in meditation under the under the Bodhi tree. Then he spends the the um, uh, all this time hours of going through the the uh, contemplating for hours and hours the Pratichasamal part of the arising part, the the, the uh, cessation part, and then arising and cessation. So going back and forth and looking at the different parts of it as a, a process over many many hours after his enlightenment to explore. How it's all, all the, de the details and nuances of how it's working. So, uh, I, I can't say what's in the Abhidhamma. It's not, it's not something I've studied, uh, to any degree at all. But, um, I would, my, my immediate feelings, that's what is, uh, uh, that sense of seeing the, after the realization of, of path and fruit. It's, it's not like all the detail of that picture. It's just the sense of, aha, this is how it fits. Uh, Sister Tanavijaya. Yeah, a question about Asuras. I wonder if it just never made sense to me uh, that position in the heavenly realm. And I wonder if it's to be taken with a pinch of salt. The enlightenment to the Nordic gods and the Greek gods, um, and they would be probably from the same era and probably from the understanding of common folks of if you are rich and powerful you can do whatever you want mm -hmm. and you literally decide the fate of people but in terms of Buddhist teachings that's supposed to represent some sort of lofty refined state of mind and how being jealous and fighting <laughs> is has to do anything with heavenly realm or higher states of consciousness or how do you get to be jealous and be a god? Well, if you're the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and you've got a degree in classics from Oxford University. You know, so, I mean, just to use a random example. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely joking. It's like, you know, that because deva doesn't necessarily mean particularly wholesome. It means that it's, they've got a lot of privilege. You can, like, like Venerable Ananamacharya saying that deva's these devas, they're utterly foolish. He said, most devas are not the slightest bit interested in Dhamma. They're just sort of, you know, lost in their own, you know, happy experiences, partying. 
So in terms of um, rebirth, like literal rebirth, you can be prone to jealousy and power and still believe one of the gods. Uh, yeah, because and it's well in in again in Buddhist cosmology, the human realm is seen as the most uh, the most uh, uh, beneficial realm to be born in. Buddhas are always born in the human realm because it's the most fertile ground for developing insight. Because you have, as Lumpur Sumedha would put it, you have the body of an animal but the mind of a god, and so that you, the, uh, the beings who are born in the deva realms. That they have so much, uh, say, a pleasure or power, so much intelligence, they can get completely lost and not be using their uh, their blessings. And so, uh, it's often if, again, if you read a, a, a lot of Buddhist cosmology, mythology, uh, which I have done quite a bit over the years, then it's often the case that devas are, are represented as sort of wasting their substance. That it's like being born in a privileged family having piles of money when you're growing up and, and just growing up to be a really obnoxious person. You know, that you've been used to having lots of money and social position and, and taking it all that for granted, but you're, uh, you've inherited that, you're born into that, but you're not making very good use of it. And so that uh, it's seen as much more advantageous to be born in the Manusalok, in the human realm, um, because there's a mixture of pleasure and pain. There's a the uh, the the possibilities of degrees of of, sort of deva-like happiness and pleasure, particularly with meditation, but there's also the limitations of the body and the, the dukkha of having to eat and having to deal with the weather and and physical sicknesses and so on. So that the that uh, being uh, oftentimes people like uh, you know, Lumpur Char or Lumpur Buddha Das, when people say they want to be, be born in the heavenly realms, they say, that's a really stupid idea. <laughs> you know, you just get, uh, you just get lost in that. Or like uh, Anya, uh, her daughter's funeral, Jasmine, I mean, her 27-year-old daughter who died very tragically. At Jasmine's funeral, her mother said, you know, you know I really hope you've gone to a, to a good place. But please don't have too much fun with the devas because, you know, you shouldn't forget the Dhamma while you're up there. <laughs> it was kind of a wonderful, wise advice from the mother. At her daughter's funeral, she was obviously very tragic and painful. But for all credit to her, at her daughter's funeral, to say, I, I really hope you're in a, you know, in a nice place, but don't get lost, you know. Don't get carried away with the, uh, with playing with the devas. So don't forget the, the Dhamma teachings. That's what's going to really benefit you. So that uh, the the human realm is is uh, again, it's, it's Buddhas always appear born. The last life of a bodhisattva is always in the human realm, according to Buddhist mythology. And so that it's because it's seen as like the most potent and uh, fertile ground for the development of, of insight and, and liberation. Yes. Um, when the use of the term realm makes me think that these are different time-space continuums, but as the conversation is going on now, it sounds like they share the same time-space continuum. What is a realm? How is that different? <laughs> I think it depends who you talk to. But uh, you can think of it as uh, um, a parallel universes or, 
or um, different dimensions. Like right now, uh, are you aware of radio waves? We're not. But if we had a radio and turned it on, then we'd be able to hear BBC or whatever. And so, but they're passing through this this hall. You know, the the radio waves or TV broadcasts, or whatever. They're they're passing through, but we don't see them. They're they're present, but we don't have the piece of kit that enables us to tune into them. So I've always been totally comfortable with the idea of different realms of existence. It's always uh, ever since I was a small child that made perfect sense to me. And I'm always slightly surprised when other people just say, oh, rubbish, nonsense, you know. And it's still, you know, even after all these years, I'm still slightly taken aback when people say uh, that they, the, that has no credibility. I've never seen, I've never had an experience of visiting any other realms or meeting any other beings that are visibly or <laughs> from, from different realms of existence. But, uh, the idea of it has always seemed perfectly sensible to me. And, so uh, it, uh, I would say it's like the parallel universes, and also it, it, it's a um, the experience. Of, one of the interesting things, if you look at the cosmology, is that the experience of time is very, very different. Like we were talking about Brahma gods, like having a breathless conversation, and you know, five million years, five million human years pass by in, in the with a, in a breathless, a breathlessly rushed conversation. <laughs> So that uh, the the spans of time and the, the lifespans of beings in those different realms are you know, extraordinarily different and very 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 long, and so that also uh, makes makes sense to me that uh, uh, that uh, that's part of the the chemistry and the the more refined the realms are the more subtle they are and then the, the longer the lifespans are the more sort of glorious so like in the Arupa the formless Brahma realms and the lifespans are like thousands of kalpas long, you know, 20,000, 84,000 kalpas long for a lifespan. I had an exchange of emails with the Ajahn Pumidama when he called the Krita realm basically an aborted birth, he said, and uh, that's what the term used, it's an aborted birth. And uh, I, I took on experience I had with ghosts and asked him, how do you think that Buddhism would explain ghosts in general, and uh, he basically said, well, the creators, because the hungry ghost realm is actually very close to the human realm and is interacting with it, and often they want to get back to where they, they were before, or become, come into this realm, find ways into this realm, so there's this interaction between the two. He also said you, something about you shouldn't wish them well too much because this is something that they can like and they can keep them, keep them in the realm. So it's rather interesting. <laughs> There's all sorts of different ways of relating to these uh, principles and, and uh, uh, different understandings around that. But uh, I Personally, I feel uh, more loving-kindness is usually better. Uh, I know in some <laughs> traditions they say, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't spread loving-kindness to people who've died. But it's like, yeah, but if they're alive in another realm, they're still alive, but they're still in a different realm. So, I generally, I, I advert to the idea more loving kindness is better. One of the few times more is better. <laughs> and that, uh, the, uh, so I, I don't quite go along with that. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure entirely what he meant, really, but uh, I can't remember the context exactly. There was something about, uh, if you wish creators, in particular, praetors, uh, 
and the people with loving kindness or something about it that actually might might be detrimental to the situation, but I can't remember yeah, the context exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised at that. One of the things, again, that Venerable Ananda Maitreya, who talked about this kind of dimension quite a bit, he said um, that uh, sharing merit is uh, is very, very helpful for, for beings in different realms. And that uh, that as human beings, to consciously offer up the goodness of your life, uh, to, to deliberately share that and... and uh, they offer that for well-being of others. He uh, he made a point saying that that's that's uh, something that is brings great blessings. And I think he was not just speaking from a knowledge of the Pali scriptures, but his also his own experience, his own insight into that dimension. That it's uh, said that for being beings in certain realms, that's the food they live on is the the, the good wishes and blessings, the the good karma from from people. And one of the stories that you come across is. Venerable Mahamogalana, uh, his mother was in the, I think, it had lived quite unskillfully, and uh, she had died and, and was had been reborn in a hell realm. And he went down to visit her, and and to, and I think it was through, I'm not sure of the exact story, but I think it was he was consciously sharing the merit of his life with with her, so that she could end her life in the, the end of her life come to an end in the hell realm, and she could get reborn in a Different location. Where else? Yes. I'm wondering. I was trying to think about the different gradients, the realms, and what was kind of distinguishing each of them. And so initially, I thought maybe it's virtue, but it didn't like to put on the dark and scale like the movie. And in one of those realms, actually, virtue really isn't apparent for the basis. And so I'm wondering, is it craving that really distinguishes? Very different levels of the realm because the days of the days are not perhaps more virtuous because they've got quite a lot already. Yeah, perhaps not craving as much, and so perhaps that's why they're in a higher realm. So I'm wondering, is that like, is there anything to that? I'm wondering, what is it that distinguishes each of the realms? Well, it, it, yeah, it's a good question. The um, essentially, it's karma and its results, the actions that, that you follow. So if you've lived very skillful, and this is something that is, is sort of quite uh, a large part of, of common understanding in many Buddhist countries. So, if you've lived a skillful life in the past, then it, that creates wholesome karma. So, it might mean that you're born in a fortunate family in this, in the human world, or you're born in the deva realm. But then, what you do, having been born in that realm, what you do with that is up to you. Like, if you might be born into a rich family or a privileged family, but then live a totally wasteful life or get really confused and, and self-destructive. And so, yes, you you were born into a a pleasant and beneficial situation, but the choices that were made or the way that turned out didn't lead to liberation. And so that uh, it's kind of like snakes and ladders. I mean, snakes and ladders, uh, I think, is a is a very ancient Indian game, and I think it's really based on the laws of karma and, and vipaka. That like uh, you can be born as a Brahma god, and you can uh, your next life can be. Uh, Back in Hemel Hempstead, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's one there's one particular Brahma realm I'm very fond of, which is called the Asanya Sata Brahma realm, and it's a, it's a, the um, one of the the very uh, you know, high Brahma realms, and uh, and so in the and in the descri- description of it, Asanya means means unconscious, 
So you create a lot of good karma. It's based on, on having very, very purified, refined mind states from meditation. But uh, uh, in that in that particular realm, you're unconscious the whole time. So it's a crowd. You have this sort of you're born into this glorious landscape. You have this kind of fantastically radiant Brahma body, uh, but for the entire lifespan, you're totally unconscious. And then that life comes to an end, and then you can be reborn anyway. Can be back in the the human realm or, or wherever it might be, and so you can be a Brahma god. You can be born as an animal afterwards you know, if the the karma is there in the mixture. And so, um, uh, and the reason why people get beings get born as in the Asanya Sata Brahma realm is like if your meditation is based on aversion to the sense world, if there's a kind of um, uh, negativity or pushing away of, of sense and uh, the sense world and thinking. Uh, so that yes, there's a lot of concentration. Yes, it's very refined. There's a lot of wholesomeness, but that not wanting to feel, not wanting to experience, not wanting to sense that that ripens in the being born in the Asanya Sata Brahma realm. So you're there for like gazillions of years, but you don't enjoy it because you're unconscious the whole time. So, dang. <laughs> so it sounds like Kama decides what realm you end up in for the level of realm, and this is the level of suffering and freedom from craving, in, in a way. Is that perhaps correct? Well, it's a, the, the, the realm that the, the mind gravitates to is based on the particular nuances and the mixtures of, of Kama, and, um, and so that uh but there there can be various influences there in, in the mixture so that uh that could be you know, could have, yes you're living a comfortable life and yes things are very privileged but uh actually your bank is about to collapse and so that <laughs> that uh, or that uh, you um uh you're you're riding on a a a, a uh, a, 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 set, a set of privileges that can di- can disappear very quickly, like snakes and ladders. You know, you can be up in the you know ninety ninth square and you know, down the snake you go to back to square number one. Um, and so that it, it's there can be a lot of virtue in the mix, but it can be masked by some particular um, vipaka, some sort of resultant karma. So the, the story is like. In the scriptures, also in the Jataka stories in particular, there's lots and lots of, of examples of of, um, uh, of those sort of mixtures of, of karma where a being is born into a particular family or a particular realm and that uh, they have the influence of, of previous lifetimes still carry on. Um, and that the, 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 the essential theme and really what's the, the purpose of the, this book <laughs> and the teachings is that what makes the difference is what we do with the present moment experience here and now, and so that um, the uh, you, that nothing is nothing is really fixed. There's no, nothing is. Uh, it's never too late. <laughs> there's no there's no karma uh, that has a, a an absolutely just sort of destructive or obstructive result. So that you know you can be. Uh, uh, born in a really unfortunate situation, but if if, the, if there are skillful choices that are made, then the, the, over a number of lifetimes one can rise out of that, or like a, or, or that there can still be resonances of painful 
uh, you know, unskillful acts in the past, like Mahamogalana, uh, he died by being killed by bandits. Uh, because many, many, many lifetimes before, he had um, uh, he'd killed his parents. Uh, and so that, that little nugget of unfinished business was still there in the mix, even though he was an Arahant and the Buddha's second disciple. Uh, and there's, in the stories it goes like he's trying to escape from these bandits no matter how, how hard he tries and all these magical tricks that he does you know, flying through the air and disappearing through keyholes and making himself invisible the guys keep like in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid you know who are those guys <laughs> <laughs> whatever we do they can't get away from them and then he realizes he kind of puts his mind on to go oh yeah I'm not going to get away from this this is the old unfinished business so eventually he he gets killed by the bandits. Similarly, Venerable Sariputta, it said, liked to skip over puddles in the rainy season. And some of the other monks were upset about this. You know, he's supposed to be the, your you know, chief disciple. He's behaving this undignified way. And when there's a puddle on the pathway, he likes to skip over these puddles. You know, this is very improper for a supposedly austere and dignified monk. And, and the Buddha said, well, in a previous lifetime, he was a monkey. And uh, he, and the mon- that monkey liked skipping over puddles, and so this is a, a resonance of that previous lifetime as a monkey. We could spend a lot of time on these stories. I think. I had a question about your reflection this morning. Um, you were saying how vinyana um, is is where the mind is creating a self, the bindings of the thoughts of self, and then that feeds into Nama Rupa, creates that subject object. Not, not quite. If I'm more, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's complex, <laughs> but uh, the, the, they, 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 kind of, they work together, they lean on each other, Vinyana and Nama Rupa, and, uh, you know, and as the, the, the reading I gave yesterday, the Buddha says, uh, Namarupa conditions Vinyana, Vinyana conditions Namarupa, that they, they're the source and the cause for each other. They lean on each other, they, they, they fuel each other. And so that in that, in that kind of, uh, combination, then the, the Vinyana side of it, that, uh, feeds the sense of a subject, uh, uh, the, the quality of cognizing or knowing or, or the, the the subject side of the equation, and then the namarupa forms the object side, and so that uh, you have uh, ignorance conditions, formations, formations conditions, consciousness consciousness conditions, non, uh, mind and mind and body, or menta- mentality materiality. So that again, it's not just sort of one, two, three, four, but rather if when when the, when the mind doesn't see things clearly, then there's avijja that conditions sankara, that sense of of of, uh, of this and that, of, uh, of of the the whole realm of things in the most germinal basic way, and that 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 sankara as a seed, if you like, that that was the was the root that sort of develops strength. It kind of divides into, on the one hand, vinyana being the kind of cognizing uh, subject side, and into the the other side, which is the uh, Nama Rupa, which is the object side of, of uh, the, um, uh, the the five khandas, and so then that is uh, how the source, 
the subject object me here the world out there forms based on uh, on ignorance not seeing clearly then that me here the world out there takes shape so it's just uh, but I would stress it's just one way of talking about it or considering it it's not like a sort of categorical this is the, the one true interpretation but that's how I, I most hopefully understand it and so that the vinyana part is that it sort of strengthens into the there's a me here who's seeing and who's thinking and feeling and there's that there's those people the room out there um, there are these you know words arising in my mind that are coming from you know that mind <laughs> and so that the uh, the uh, Bhikkhunyananda called the Nama Rupa Vinyana Vortex that, that kind of strengthens from that seed of the, the basic division of Sankara and strengthens into there's me here in a world out there, the subject object. And then the next one on the list is the six senses. So then that in the, in the same kind of vein, then oh, there's uh, the, the sense world seems very, very solid and is known by this agent. The, the me who's experiencing the senses and that conditions you know feeling and contact and feeling and then into craving that's all explained later on talk about in more detail later on. but I hope that gives some kind of a picture okay well, I'm also speaking of pictures it's now ten past so we should wind up this evening and the man, the Mahawada Kataya, Sabu Karanga Dama say, Sabu, Sabu.